here. Uh, we are have gathered to hear from God and to see what he might have to say to us tonight. So let's begin our time in prayer. Father, thanks for just uh, your presence here, and we thank you that uh, Jesus is in our midst. Not only is he in our hearts, but as we gather in his name corporately, he's right in the middle of what we're doing. And so we welcome you, Jesus, into the middle of what we're doing tonight. We welcome you to uh, lead us, guide us, bring truth into our lives. We welcome you to bring understanding. We welcome you to bring revelation. We welcome you, God, to pour out love and mercy and grace tonight as we talk about your word and we receive what you have for us. So tonight I pray that we could focus ourselves on what's at hand and that we could leave behind the distractions and allow you to really speak to us and really lead us tonight. So have your way, I pray, and I ask you, God, that we would be responsive to you. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. They are spread out here. There's two over here. There's one over here. Uh, there's a couple around, so you can make sure you get one so that you can participate in Bible study. We love to, to have one. Uh, if we need more, we can always get them. When you have a Bible, we're going to look at Psalm 52.8. Psalm 52.8. And as you're turning there, just as a reminder, we have the interactive feature uh, with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, and that's all one word. Uh, you go to that website and uh, to that address, and what you'll find is a button that you can toggle. And uh, when you toggle that button, you'll be given the option to leave what would appear to be a voicemail. And ideas about what you can include in that. If you have a question about what we're talking about, you can send that along. If you have something good that God spoke to you, I mean, you can send that along. If you have something good that God's doing in your life, send that along. If you just want to say hi and tell us where you're from and that you're listening, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can send that along. So www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, and we'd love to hear from you. Psalm 52.8, who would like to read that for us tonight? But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. All right, thanks for reading that. And, and what you see is uh, there's a contrast that's being built. Uh, it starts with the word but. And so you really need to read what's before that in order to understand it. But to understand that uh, Psalmist David is drawing a contrast between himself and his enemies. And he wants us to understand that there is a difference. That we are not in the same place as, as uh, the enemy that he was describing there. That he had a different kind of thing going on. And it's important for us to understand what he's talking about when he describes what's going on for him. Because what that does is it gives us an opportunity to not only uh, benefit, look at the life of David and say, wow, he's a great guy, but to benefit from that 
and to understand, okay, well, this is something that God has for us, or it's at least available for us if we choose to walk in it. And so I'd encourage you to allow that to begin to speak to you tonight as we're going through the psalm, this verse, and, and allow it to, to speak to you. Because he draws a contrast. He says, but I am like. In other words, here's what my life is compared to this other guy. And you can read ahead. You can read above. I'm not offended if you're reading or anything. But the idea there is that there is there are some deep roots that are planted. And he's describing a situation where deep roots are planted. And deep roots do a lot for you. Uh, in other words, if you have deep enough roots, you can pretty much grow anywhere. Uh, and and that's true. I I see it all the time when I'm hiking in the Adirondacks how trees will make their way and they will grow anywhere as long as they have good roots. So there'll be a big rock, a huge rock, like just in the middle of nowhere. I mean, a rock bigger than these tables. Stack two of these tables on top of each other, right? That tall. And there'll be a tree growing on top of that rock. Because down the sides of that rock, the roots have gone, and they've gone into the ground on the sides of that rock, and they're deep enough not only to nourish the tree, but they're also deep enough to hold that tree in severe windstorms and and snowstorms with the weight of all of that. It'll hold that tree in the rain, whatever comes its way. Those roots are strong enough. They're deep enough so they can hold that tree upright. Pretty amazing, actually. Because you think about a tree, is usually it's in the ground. These aren't even in the ground. It's just the roots that are holding into the ground, and they're just sitting on top of a rock. They don't go into the rock. It's too hard. And so, and so that's the importance of roots, and I want you to think about that for a second. Your roots matter. Because in, in, in contrast to that, you go enough on enough hikes, you see big, big trees over, falling over. And, and without exception, you look at those trees and you look at the root systems on those trees and they're flat and shallow. That's what happens. And so that tree might grow and it'll grow and it'll grow and it'll grow and get to a certain height, but there's going to be a windstorm or there's going to be snow that gets in the branches up at the top or something's going to happen and that whole thing's just going to fall over. It's going to reach a critical height where... In its growth, it's going to get to a certain size, it's going to meet a certain condition, and it's going to fall over because the roots aren't deep enough. That's the importance of roots. Now begin to apply that to your spiritual life. And I want you to think about that for a second, like what that could matter. I mean, not only growing anywhere, but think about the conditions. If you've got deep enough roots, it doesn't matter the wind that comes or the storm that comes or, or, or the... The, the snow or the weight or the rain or whatever it is that comes your way, the ice or whatever, the deep enough roots, those trees with the deep roots, they're going to last through that. And even if they lose some branches, even if you know they, something gets blown off or whatever, they're going to grow more because they have the deep root system and they're going to nourish and they're going to be able to grow what needs to be grown. And so it, it, that's an important thing for us to, to begin to understand. Because right there is a contrast. Right there is the beginning of understanding what David is talking about when he draws the contrast between what his life is and what his enemy's life is. 
right there is the beginning for us to to begin to say, all right, well, what's important? Well, you know, Sunday, um, Layla was talking about a foundation and laying a good foundation. Well, the foundation of the living thing, the foundation of the tree is the roots. And the deeper they go, the stronger that tree is going to be. You don't see the roots, though. You don't see those. There's nothing fancy about roots. And if you've ever removed a tree or tried to dig a tree out or a bush out, there's, there's something hateful about roots, actually, if you're trying to get rid of it. I mean, but there's nothing, there's nothing fancy about it. There's nothing you can look at that thing and say, oh, what beautiful roots. You can't even see them. You can't see them. All you know is that this tree, it looks strong, it looks healthy. The wind comes, it stays. You can begin to, to, to think about it like at some point, well, maybe this tree has some good roots to it. Maybe it does. But you've got to pay attention to your spiritual life if you're going to build roots. If you want to see God build some roots in your life, you've got to pay some attention to that. You do. You have to. And put yourself in those situations where you're nourishing the things in your life that maybe no one else can see. You know? Because there are things in our lives that nobody else can see that matter. Like nobody sees you reading your Bible. Not really. <coughs> nobody sees you in prayer and intercession in the middle of the night. Nobody. Nobody sees a lot of stuff that we do that are spiritual foundations, spiritual roots in our life. Nobody sees those things. But they're important. You don't get credit for it. All right? Nobody's standing around, oh, great job. And, and it's almost like you want to try to incentivize that, you know, like you want to get people into developing their roots by by putting some some praiseworthy incentive to it. But really? You know, we, we need to have some kind of a compass in us, enough common sense, enough self-preservation in our life to, to really care about our roots. All right? That we, we need enough concern for ourselves to, to care about the roots that we have. And that to feed those roots and to see them go deeper and deeper and deeper. Because I tell you what, we didn't all grow up in the nicest of places. All right? But a tree with good roots can grow anywhere. Some of us grew up in some hard ground or in some rocks. But a tree with good roots can grow anywhere. And that's a fact. And so it, the storms are going to come. I just, I'm just telling you, they're coming. Whether you see them coming or not, you know, it doesn't take a prophet to tell you that you're going to face some storms in your life. And that's not prophecy. That's just the way it is. We're human beings. That's our condition. All right? And so when those storms come... And, and the weight comes, and the snow comes, and the ice comes, and all the rest of those things that come that could destroy us. It's your roots that are going to make a difference in those days and in those times. That's what's going to make a difference. And if you lose a couple branches, they grow back. If you got good roots, 
So you think about the, the tree and, and the writer here, David, he talks about the tree and he talks about an olive tree. An olive tree. And, and olive trees, to us, we look at an olive tree, we don't really think much of it. Uh, whatever. It's a little tree, kind of kind of a funny color and has certain characteristics or whatever. But to the people that he's writing to, olive trees are beautiful. They're beautiful. And they provide, think about what they provide, the olive trees. Think about the stuff that they were able to glean off of olive trees. You think about the source of light at night that they provided for through their oil. That, I mean, I mean, absolutely. And the more trees you had, the the more the secure and rest. So olive trees were choice, fruitful. I mean, they provided excellent oil. They were beautiful. Fat. And fat was good. All right? I mean, you read Nehemiah. You read, you know, and he talks about eat the fat and drink the sweet. You know? And fat was good. And the olive tree, that, that represented that. And, and so to be a healthy tree in, in Hebrew poetry, to be an olive tree, you're talking about prosperity and vigor and freshness and peace and plenty, gladness. All those things, I mean, that's what that represented. And so David is saying, yeah, I'm a, I'm a healthy tree. I'm a healthy olive tree. Choice and fruitful. Beautiful, all of that. And that's how he described himself. And you look at that and say, all right, well, was he just bragging? Or was that really how he saw himself? And I, I believe that's how he saw himself. I don't believe he's trying to make himself look good. I don't think he's trying to, 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 to say something that wasn't true about himself. I don't think he was making something up. I don't think he was talking big. I think he was just describing the fact of the matter. And the fact of the matter is and was that David, because of his relationship with God, because of the roots that had been planted deep, he could say those things. I am a healthy olive tree, meaning prosperous, vigorous, fresh, peaceful, living in plenty, and with gladness in my heart. He could say that. I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome to really be able to say that. And and again, not trying to posture, not trying to convince yourself or somebody else. None of those things, just really actually living like that, actually reflecting what you're saying. There's something really powerful about that, I think. A couple of places where you see that uh, Jeremiah 11:16. somebody want to look at that? Let's put the Bible study in the Bible study. Jeremiah 11:16 and somebody else, Hosea 14:6. Jeremiah eleven sixteen, Hosea fourteen six. So anybody have Jeremiah eleven sixteen? The Lord once called you a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit, but with the roar of great tempest, you 
will set fire to it, and its branches will be consumed. All right, but how does he describe the olive tree? That's what I wanted to get out of that. Beautiful with good fruit. Beautiful with good fruit. Yeah. All right, how about Hosea 14, 6? His young shoots will grow, his splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. Yeah. You see how olive trees are put right in the middle of those descriptors and, and, and how what a good denotation there is I mean really that's the way they saw it that's the way they understood it and in, po- in their poetry that, that's what it means it's a flourishing a real flourishing in that and so then he, he says something he says that he's an olive tree in the house of God yeah flourishing in the house of God and understand that back then, and I want to keep it back then because that's not the way we see it now, but back then they saw the house of God, where probably the tabernacle, but they saw that was the place where God was, that was his presence, was in the tabernacle. And so when, when he says that, he's an he's a olive tree flourishing in the house of God, what he's saying is, is that He's in communion with God. He's in relationship with God. That, that's where God dwells. He's in God's presence. And the presence of God to them equaled happiness or blessing. As, as in the New Testament, you know, when they go through the Beatitudes, when Jesus teaches the Beatitudes, blessed, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed, and he goes down through that whole list. Well, that word blessed means happy. In its simplest of terms, it just means happy. And so you look at even in the Old Testament where they start to talk about life in the presence of God, what they're talking about is a happiness, a blessing, a happiness in his presence. And so as David describes himself, he describes himself as, as the, the product, and all that he described himself as is the product of his communion with God. In other words, he didn't produce that stuff. He didn't produce the prosperity or the vigor or the peace or the plenty or the gladness in his heart. He didn't produce the flourishing. He didn't produce those of his own power, of his own way of doing things. That wasn't what he did. But he was recognizing that all of those things sprung from being in God's presence. Every single one of them came from communion with God. And, and there's a building of trust that takes place as you take that time to commune with God. You know, you might sit there, and I could, I'm just listening through the Bible. You know, we start it over again. And uh, a lot of times I'll listen to it in my car as I'm going. And I was getting, we are just uh, listening about Abraham. And how Abraham, and it struck me again like it does every single time. How Abraham, even though he, he had a distrust for people, which he did. I mean, that's why he asked his wife to lie about things. I mean, technically, it was a, only a half lie because he was saying, Sarah, could you let these, tell these guys that you're my sister so they don't kill me? Because his wife was beautiful and he was always afraid that when they would go somewhere new that 
they, they would kill him if they knew she was his wife. And so he would say, okay, could you say that you're my sister? And so that way they wouldn't kill him. He had a real distrust for people. Now, Sarah was his half-sister. She was his half-sister. They both had the same father, but different mothers. Yeah. <coughs> Whatever, man. It was back then, okay? I don't know. But what I'm saying is, is that it still, it still wasn't telling the truth because that was really his wife, more importantly. And so uh, you think about the situation that put his wife in? Because immediately, oh, that's your sister? Okay, whoever is in charge would be like, I'll take her. And so she was gone at that point. How long? We don't know. We don't know how long they were there. And so she did her part to protect Abraham, who was distrusting of people or whatever, and, and, and all the rest. But you see that. Then even when he's making covenants with people, you know, how many times do they repeat the same thing? How many times did he go through the same process with people? He was buying a cave and a, and a field so he could bury his wife. If you ever read that section of the scripture, how many times does he say the same thing to the guy? I mean, the guy who owned the field looked at him right off the bat. He's like, I need to bury my wife. I was wondering if somebody could sell me a, a cave so I could bury her in the cave. So that's how they did it. And uh, they say, yeah, surely. I mean, you, we could... Let you just use one of ours and you can bury your dead there. He's like, no, I, I want to have a place where I can bury my dead moving forward into the future. So I was wondering if anybody would sell me a field. And he, he named a field and a cave that he wanted. And the guy who owned the field in the cave spoke up immediately. He was sitting right there. He's like, Abraham, I will give you this field and this cave. Go and bury your dead. You can have it. But Abraham's like, no, 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 I want to pay for it. And he's like, no, 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 you can have it. No, 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 I want to pay for it. And so the guy's like, all right, well, the, the field's worth 400 pieces of silver, but what's that between friends? Just you can have it. And Abraham paid him anyway. All right? But that's the kind of guy he was. But when it came to trusting God, hang on. But when it came to trusting God, he trusted God somehow. When, when, when he said, go and kill your son, go sacrifice your son, he took him, he took him on top of a mountain, he took, and he tied him up, he put him on an altar, and he was ready to kill him. And God intervened. But he really trusted God. He really did. And, and as much distrust as he had for the nations around him, as much distrust as he had for the people around him, you look at how he dealt with his servant when he sent him to find a wife for his son. He completely trusted him. You saw how he dealt with the people that were around him, that he knew that were part of, of his family or part of his group, and he completely trusted them. And so what you see happening here is that the, there's a product that takes place in our life of, of in, in godly communion that... Not only do we commune with God, but we also commune with each other in his presence. And there's something really important about that. And I use Abraham as an example because he was distrusting of the people out there. But he was very trusting of God and the people in here.
And there's something powerful to learn from that. Because I really believe that that springs from spending time in God's presence together. And that's why it's important we do that. So is it important you spend time in God's presence by yourself? Sure. But it's also important we spend time in God's presence together. That's why we worship together. That's why we pray together. That's why we, we take the time to, to really spend with one another in his presence, like at the beginning of the year, like what we're doing right now. This is important for us. It's important for us to take this time together to do it. And I can only encourage you to be at prayer and worship when it's going on. I can only encourage you to take the time to worship during those times and to spend that time together in his presence. That's all, that's all I can do. All right? But it's important for us. It's important for me. It's important for you. It's important as we learn to trust God more and we learn to trust one another. Because those things aren't easy. But it's a, they, they, they do come about, though. Because David said he was going to trust in God's, and I'm going to use a little bit of a, a paraphrase here, but he's going to trust in God's faithful love. You know, kind of that whole idea. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I have trusted in God's faithful love, which I believe David could say to this point. But it also means I will trust in his love. In other words, you're making a statement of faith that circumstances are coming. I'm going to trust in his love. Hard times may be around the corner. I will trust in his love. Things may not go... Your way, but I will trust in his love. Somebody may turn their back on you or somebody may hurt you, but I will trust in his love. You're making a faith statement with that. And, and not only are you recognizing, okay, I've done this, but importantly, you're also saying I will do this too. And that is important. Because it's pretty easy to deceive yourself. It's pretty easy. Uh, we're good at it. Some of us are better at it than others, but we're fairly good at it, most of us. That if it comes right down to it, we're fairly good at, at, at really deceiving ourselves. Like, like a, a question like I'm going to give you right now. Where do you put your trust? Where do you put your trust? It, it's easy for us to deceive ourselves in that question. Because we know what the right answer is, and that's part of the problem. Once you know what the right answer is, then you're going to just say that automatically, whether you believe it or you don't, because that's the right answer. You know, it's kind of like you're taking a test in school. There's certain things I didn't agree with, especially in college, that my professor believed. And the professor would put it on a test, and I could make a decision right there. I'm like, am I going to just answer this the way that I want to answer it, that I really believe, or am I just going to tell the professor what they want to hear? Normally, I just tell them what they want to hear because they're the ones doing the grades. And since I, you know, I had a really, my view of, of higher education, especially as an undergraduate, was fairly cynical. Uh, I believed that I was there and I was paying money for credits. And so, I'd, and I'd have to do certain things in order to obtain those credits. 
that the professor required and then they would assign a value to those credits for me and then I'd be awarded those credits once I amassed enough credits then I could get a degree and graduate that's it was that kind that's how I saw my undergrad now I know I'm supposed to see my undergrad as this great exploratory experience where I'm uh, I'm exploring new ideas and I'm gleaning knowledge and I'm learning how to learn and all the rest of that I know it's supposed to be that it was supposed to be that but you're not really rewarded for that you know if you're that kid that asks a ton of questions in class you're the pain in the butt all right you're not rewarded for exploring you're not rewarded for expanding your horizons yes <laughs> you were that kid and and that's a, that's what they want they just they just want to they're not looking for you to, to make any waves. They're not looking for you to, to cause any issues. They're just looking for you to nod your head. Okay. They tell you they do, though. Right. Well, until you disagree with them. Yeah, no, you're, that's way too far. So, now, now, when I was taking graduate work, I found that I was able to do more of that but not in my undergrad, and, and that was just the way it was. So, so that whole idea, like I said, I, I had, a, um, had a fairly cynical view, and if you don't share that view, that's great. I, I don't, yeah, I'm not saying it's the right view. I'm just saying it's my view, and that's what I saw. But, but you, you kind of get an idea, well, what are you going to trust in in your life? And I want you to think about some of these questions, like how about money? You, you, you know you're not supposed to say that, all right? but this isn't a test, and no one's assigning any credits here, okay? And so that, that's, that's where I'm getting at. It's like we don't need to give the right answer. We just need to give the answer that's true so that maybe if there are some areas where we're trusting in the wrong thing, we can begin to deal with that in our life. What's the problem with trusting in money? Anybody know? Yeah, what happens when you don't have any money? Well, yeah. So, and what do you mean? You know, if you well, if I save my money right, I'll always have money. No, you think that it does. And and I, I you know, I can tell you the the first time uh, I started I started saving for my retirement when I was twenty four years old. Twenty three, maybe. I was putting away fifty bucks a month that I didn't have. Because of the magic of compound interest. <laughs> so, so I was investing and I, and I picked one of the most conservative, conservative, possibly conservative places to invest my money. It was a religious fraternal organization that I was a member of. And, and that you could just put your money in there. They covered life insurance. They covered disability insurance. And I could put my retirement in there. And their portfolio was super conservative. It was just what it was. So I, I put money in, put money in from the time I was 23 years old. And the first time the market crashed in our lifetime, not the 20s. Where <laughs> none of us are alive then. But the first time the market crashed, 
I lost 70% of what I'd put in. Yeah. And and it wasn't, and you could look at that and say, well, it wasn't like I was a millionaire or something, because I wasn't. But it was all I had. And it was, you know, June and I had had sacrificed in order to do that. And it was just gone. And so we took what we had left and we put it somewhere else and whatever. And, and you, you start building again. But if we're going to look at stuff like that, it's like, well, what happens when you trust in money? Well, sometimes money isn't there. Sometimes money is gone. Sometimes something cr catastrophic happens and you don't have it anymore. And it's just a bad place to put your trust. And I know you say, well, it's easy for you to say. No, it's not easy for me to say. It's not easy for anybody to say. In the society that we live in, in the day and age that we live in, it is not easy for anybody to say it's bad to trust in money. Everything tells us we're supposed to trust in money. Everything. Everything around us. Everything that you can read, see, hear, whatever. It's going to tell you that you should trust in money. Whether it implies it or it just says it straight out. And yet, that's not a solid place to put your trust. It's just not. Or, you say, we trust in power. You know, it's like, ooh, the guy in charge. I want to be the guy in charge, do you? Do you, really? Yeah. You know, I, I, can remember, I can't tell you how many times this has happened. I, I remember we were, at, we were over at the university, and I'm running a, 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 a kind of a low-level quasi-faculty person over there running a Christian organization. And this guy that I knew, was uh, he was next in line to be the dean over the chapel where I worked. And I'm like, this is awesome. We can get rid of this guy who's really working against what we're trying to do with evangelical gospel. And we can get this guy in, who he's the nicest guy. Man, this guy, this would be great. I can't wait. And so the guy retired that was there, had been there for 30 years, he retired. And the guy that I was hoping for got promoted into his position... And he's a guy I knew, a guy that I had known for years, a guy that I know, you know, had a good heart toward what we were doing, understood what we were doing. It was awesome, except for when he got into the office, his demeanor changed, his outlook changed, and it was like he never met me before. And he was tougher than the guy that left. Why don't you put your trust in power? Well, power corrupts. Yeah, power corrupts. We think of that as us, but it corrupts all kinds. And you don't know what power does. And power is not the key. We think it is, but it's not. And I'm talking like worldly power. I'm talking political power. I'm talking kind of, kind of that idea of position and authority out in the world somewhere. That's, that's no good place to have your trust because it changes. I give you examples right from Westcott Street. You know, people we deal with as a church, I, I, could, I could give you examples for. 
So, so power is not a good thing. How about strength? Strength in what? Well, strength in anything. You know, strength in, in whatever. You think you got all your ducks in a row and you've got it all figured out and, and you've got enough backing that you can do A, B, or C or whatever it is. That, that's not a given. Not at all. And you put your trust in something like that and it means nothing sometimes. And I mean that, nothing. You think it means something, but it doesn't. You know, there, there are times in my life where I thought I had, okay, I had backing from A, B, C, and D. Surely, you know, that'll say something and this thing will pass over. Nope. Didn't matter at all. So we have to really look at something like that and think to yourself, okay, without deceiving ourselves, where do we put our trust? Because everything I just mentioned, I mean, everything around us is pressuring us into that, whatever it is, whether it's money or power or strength or whatever. It's pressuring us into that, and yet none of those are good, solid places to trust. People get really burned when they start trusting in things that aren't really solid. And that includes people in your life, too. You trust the wrong person, that messes you up. I don't know if you ever noticed that. You start trusting the wrong people, that'll really mess you up for trusting other people. And some of those people you didn't have any choice in, okay? Let's say, you, you, you know, your kid, who you're going to trust as a child, who are you supposed to trust? Your parents. What if your parents are idiots? What if your parents are mean people? What if your parents are hateful people? What if your parents don't want anything to do with you? And you've put your trust, naturally put your trust in them, and here's what you got. I'm going to trust my parents, but they walked out on me when I was five. Or whatever the situation is. If you're following what I'm saying, I want you to understand, you put your trust into somebody, the wrong person, then who are you going to trust next? I mean, really? Who are you going to trust next after that? Or more wrong people? Because that's what you're used to. And I know that sounds crazy, right? But some people, it's like no one is right. That's absolutely correct. And so they live their life in some kind of limbo where they can't really trust anybody. And how do you live that way? You don't. You're just watching your own back all the time, trying to. That's no way to live. Or you continue trusting the wrong people that treat you the same way your parents did because that's what you learned. Which seems crazy, but is absolutely the normal way things go. Just is. Should it be? No, but it is. It's what it is. You learn behaviors as a child. You repeat those behaviors until sometime, something, somehow, somebody is acted on by some other force that gets you to stop. Or you hit rock bottom. But even then, you may still just go right back to it. So, then comes the idea of faith in God and confidence in God. 
And you can't make God, you can't make him look like your dad or your mom. And it's natural to do that. You just can't. He's not. You, you can't put on him. There's a couple things. These are, these are real bad mistakes people make. Number one, they put themselves on God. Like you're a petty, judgmental, short-tempered jerk. Well, that must be how God is, too. But he's not. You are. Doesn't mean he is. Because he's not. And, and that's not God at all. That's an idol of you that you're worshiping. All right? And, and people have been doing that a long time. All right? Tens of thousands of years, people have been making idols of themselves and worshiping it. All right? And people do that all the time. All right, so that's number one. Number two, let's say it's your, your mom or your dad. Well, if I do something wrong, he gets mad and he won't talk to me. You know, people think that about God. You know that, right? Oh, I messed up. Oh, God must be upset. Well, he's not going to talk to me now. People really believe that stuff. Why? Well, because that's the way their parents treated them. Or, yeah, or, or oh, I got really mad. Oh, so, oh, now he's going to spank me. Uh, no. Yeah, God smacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or gobsmacked, yeah. Well, the whole idea is, well, that, that's more, you know, uh, a saying. But the, but the idea is, like, well, what were your parents like? Well, be careful. Don't put that on him. Don't put that on him. You already have, but he needs to define himself in your life. He really does. He needs to define himself because if we're going to really talk about faith, and we're going to talk about confidence. We need a confidence in God as to who he is, really, not in who we are. A confidence in God and who he is, not who our parents were. And you might have had the world's greatest parents. I, I'm not saying you didn't. Some of us didn't have the world's greatest parents. And if you did have the world's greatest parents, God still isn't like them. He's still not. All right? He is who he is. He defines himself. So regardless of whether your parents were awesome or they were terrible, that's not who God is. He is who he is. And let him be self-defining. Let him be self-revealing for you in your life. Let it happen. Just pay attention. Let him show you his love. Let him show you his patience. Let him show you his mercy. Let him show you what all of that means. Because in this, in here, and in other places in the scripture, he reveals himself as a strong tower and a refuge. What's the, what's the good thing about a strong tower and a refuge? What can you do there in a strong tower and a refuge? You can rest, right? Yeah, you can rest. You know, we're fighters. And they keep fighting. And you get tired of that, right? I don't know. You get tired. Fighting takes a lot of energy. It really does. If you've ever, if you ever tried to fight for three minutes, do three three-minute rounds of just fighting, you get tired. Or five-minute rounds, even worse. Even worse. It's really hard. Okay, keep going. We need a refuge. We need a strong tower. Why? Because we need to rest. We need to rest. We need to 
encourage and foster in ourselves a calm and a quiet spirit. And it happens through trust. We trust in God for who he really is. And let him be that strong tower. Uh, let, him, let him be that refuge for us. And it's in those places, in the refuge, in the strong tower, that we cultivate that calmness. We cultivate that quiet spirit through trusting him. That's super important. That's a super powerful place to find ourselves. But he's got to be him if we're going to find that. He's got to be who he is. Not who we make him into. We've got to just allow him to be who he is so we can find that place where we can be calm and we can be quiet. Where we can be safe and happy. Think about who David is talking about here. He's talking about his enemy. And, and he's describing himself as, I'm calm, I'm quiet. Why? Because who God is. He's the refuge. He's the strong tower. Well, David's getting chased all over the place. He's under peril. I mean, the guy wants to kill him. He's, it's terrible. And yet here's David. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm in calm and I'm in quiet because I'm in my refuge. I'm in my strong tower. I'm safe and I'm happy. Regardless of the efforts of your enemies. Regardless. They can rage and they can come and they can do whatever they're going to do or whatever. You've got to find yourself in trust. He's due. Right. And I don't know how to explain that. I don't. But there's a certain lack of care as to what other people think when you find yourself in that spot. It's like, yeah, you know. Opinions vary, man. They do. Opinions vary. And People might want to try to destroy you. No. No. I'm in my refuge and I'm in my strong tower. Nope. They can make every effort they want. Go ahead. Think about the rest of what he talks about. I'm in, I'm in the house of God. Well, what's in the house of God? Well, there's his presence. What do you find in his presence? Happiness. Yeah, all that he gives. And then you... you, you then you think about how he started it. He said, you know, you're, you're that tree. You got the deep roots, right? That's how he started the whole thing. He's, he's like, I, I'm, a, I'm a tree that's flourishing. And I got these roots that just go down, down, down. So any condition, any condition, anything that comes my way, the wind, the rain, the snow, the, the ice, everything that comes my way, Hard times, easy times, whatever it is, my roots are deep enough so that I'm going to stand and I'm going to go through whatever those times are. And here's the things I said, prosperity, vigor, I love that word, freshness, peace, and plenty, and gladness, no matter what the conditions are. And that's what, that's what he's saying, but I am like you know, he talks about God's uh, faithful love. Is, or Another good word in that would be loving kindness or mercy. And then he qualifies that word there. How long? How long does he qualify it? Forever and ever. Forever and ever. Oh, all right. So it's not just for today. 
It's not just for tomorrow. It's not wasn't just for yesterday either. Okay? Oh, I used up all of my mercy and loving kindness yesterday. No? No? There's more today, and there's going to be more tomorrow. It's like you can't use it up. It's forever and ever. You like the extra ever, right? It's forever and ever. All right. Just when you thought you got to forever, there's more. There's ever. Okay? And just to make sure, I mean, it's such a kind of weird thing in English, but just to make sure that you don't ever see an end to it, you can't even see the last one, all right? That the mercy train, the love train is still going. You never see the end of that train. It's just going because it goes on forever <laughs> and ever. So if you wait forever, it's still going to be more. And this is the point. All right, understanding, understanding what that means is that you're trusting in something that will never end. You're trusting in something that's solid, something that doesn't change. And that's where you want to put your trust. That's who you want to put your trust in. And as we spend our time in his presence, and I mean really trusting him, Ultimately, and we spend our time in his presence together, we begin to get the courage to really trust one another. Because ultimately, we trust him. And so my roots are deep enough that if I trust the person next to me and they end up breaking that trust, I'm going to keep growing and I'm going to keep being. All right? And it, it, it's not going to matter. Things hurt and things, you know, whatever. But I'm going to keep going forever and ever. Because that's how long his mercy is there. I put my trust in that. Anybody have any comments they want to make? Howard, you want to go? Yeah, and I mean, you think about how how long Job is one of the first books written in the Bible. It goes way back to like the original patriarchs, like uh, like the descendants of Adam. And you look at guys like Enoch and Methuselah and Lamech and all of those guys that that they were, you know, a primitive faith. They called upon the name of the Lord. That's all we know. How? We, we don't really know. But a guy like Job was part of that. And his trust and his love and his surety of who God was and who he was in God withstood all of his friends, you know, all the, everything that happened to him, all the loss that took place, withstood his wife nagging at him, withstood everything 
And in the end, he stood. Yeah. And was restored. He withstood the attack of the devil. That was a direct attack of Satan on him. Yeah. And yet he stood. Dave, you're next. Well, I, I, I don't know that it, it is anything different about him. I think it may be a different way that we see him in the moment. We may perceive him in the moment. Yeah. Um, but I think that trust has to be at the deepest of levels for us. In other words, I'm going to trust him in his mercy. Even if he's correcting me, I'm trusting him in his mercy. If he's rebuking me, I'm trusting him in his mercy. If he is embracing me and comforting me, I'm trusting him in his mercy. In other words, none of that changes where at the basic level that I'm going to trust him in. No matter how I perceive him or how I perceive what he's doing in my life. Because really it doesn't change. Right. Right. Just a lot of what you were saying resonated with me. I just am thinking, like, that sounds really hard. And I, and I wonder if it is more difficult, like what you think, if it's more difficult for people that grew up, grew up around people they didn't trust. Is that process more difficult? You know, like, I'm hearing you, and I'm like, I agree, but it is just really not easy. Well, I think, yeah, and I think that that's true and that there needs to be a hard separation between God and the people that have come before. He is not them. They are not him. And there has to be a hard separation between those two things. And I think without that hard separation, especially when you come out of a difficult situation, without the hard separation, I don't know that you ever trust him. Because there's elements in there that are dad or mom or whoever. And there can't be. Because there's not. The reality of the situation is there are none of those elements in there. Zero. So in our brain, we have to create or accept or, or proclaim or whatever it is that has to take place. That there is nothing, there's nothing that is the same. So there's a hard break there. Hard break, and then God, reveal yourself. I need to see you for who you are. The rest of this is idle. The rest of this is just crap. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and I don't know that that's really taught too much. And I think, I think we just kind of accept 
okay, well, this is the God that I learned about in Sunday school, or this is the God that my parents told me about or whatever, and we just accept that, but we can't. We cannot accept that because that's not really the God of the Bible, how he's revealing himself. Yeah, and so we got we got to get a hold of him for who he really is. Really do. And and that requires a hard break from the way we saw him in the past. It just requires it, yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, your love. Thanks for your loving kindness. Thanks, God, for your mercy. Uh, thanks that you're our strong tower and our refuge, a place uh, that's where we find uh, a calm and quiet spirit. That's where we foster that. We encourage that in our lives and in you. And so, God, I pray that as we put our trust into whatever we put our trust into, that we'd be honest about it and we would throw our trust at you and into you, but into the reality of you, not into some perception, not into some thing that we were told or something that we kind of think. But I pray, God, that there would be a reality in our life who you really are. And that if that means a hard break with the past, if that means a hard break with what's come before, I pray, God, that that would be the case. And that you would self-reveal into our lives who you really are so that we can find a place of trust, we can find a place, God, of faith and and live in it because wow we want to be a people of some some deep roots some deep roots that regardless of the circumstance we're going to grow and we're going to be strong in you so lord uh, do your work in us i pray that you'd open our eyes to the truth of who you are I pray, Father, that we would have an open heart and open mind to you showing us, revealing yourself. And I, I just ask you, God, for just more of you. Yeah, I rebuke lies in the name of Jesus. I rebuke deceptions in the name of Jesus. I rebuke bad ideas in the name of Jesus. Yeah, truth, God. Truth, truth, fill us. Yeah. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good to see everybody tonight. Uh, we're going to try to uh, put out a Bible study, hopefully at least one of the next Mondays. Uh, or during the week, whatever it happens to be on the other side of the world. But uh, we'll likely put out a Bible study, so you, wherever you get your podcasts or uh, get your recordings of this, if you do that, uh, check it out, and maybe something will appear there. But good to see you all, and we'll see you again soon.